Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KYW Original Podcasts. So my Uber driver is taking me to Elwood Restaurant tonight to meet Chef Adam Diltz. We're going to talk about Scrapple. And while I am a, you know, I'm a Philly girl, but I can't say I'm a big Scrapple fan. But hopefully Chef Diltz can make a believer out of me. He's uh, teaching a class next week at the Free Library of Philadelphia. So we're going to go check out his skills. Setting the record straight about Scrapple. What do you think is the biggest misconception about Scrapple? That is just made with all sorts of, I mean, I don't know. Honestly, I don't understand why people have all these rumors about what it is and what it isn't. Elwood chef Adam Diltz tells me the traditional way of how to make it and divulges the biggest secret of all, what's in it. Well, the people that aren't big fans just don't know. This is a podcast about food in and around Philadelphia. That's a quick, delicious, flavorful bite. It was really hard for me to get into it. Stories from behind the kitchen. This is a wood-burning oven from Italy. It is intense. And hear about quirky stuff, too. Eat a pint of ice cream as quickly as you can and then resume the 5K. This is What's Cooking on KYW. Hi. Are you you Adam? Hi, Adam. Nice to meet you. I'm Hadass. Oh, cool. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. I'm Hadass Kuznets at Elwood Restaurant, 1007 Frankfurt Avenue, with Chef Adam Diltz, who will be teaching a Scrapple class next week at the Culinary Literacy Center. How did you connect with the library to talk about Scrapple? Well, I did a dinner with them a couple times. They saw that I did, like, this... Like historical stuff, and I did a with the author Becky Diamond a thousand dollar dinner. It was called. It was a historical dinner that was happened like two hundred years ago. So I did a little preview of that. It was like thirty courses, so I didn't do all of it, but it was like three courses. And Becky talked about it. She wrote a book, and so that's how they knew. And then Scrapple. I mean, that's just because I love Scrapple. You know, it's my thing. So. <laughs> So what makes Scrapple so amazing? Some people love it. Some people are not big fans. Well, the people that aren't big fans just don't know. I mean, for some reason in Philadelphia, there's some weird rumors about it. But, I mean, really what Scrapple is is a butchering day tradition. So what's great about it is the whole animal cookery isn't just, you know, a hipster fad. It's been happening in multiple cultures all over the world, you know, before modernization and industrialization. So Scrapple is a butchering day tradition. So when you would put, like, for instance, my family would butcher hogs on sometimes they would do it on thanksgiving but also mostly it'd be in the day after new year's or the day after christmas so that's what you would do you would butcher the hog to get through the winter scrapple is just a byproduct of that i mean nobody would make scrapple just like i do now i mean nobody would really do that it's a product of the whole butchering process you know what i mean like nobody would just make scrabble to make it back then you'd eat it over the winter sauerkraut too you'd make it eat it over the winter to get you through the winter and then hopefully in spring you have all your fresh stuff coming in is scrabble all the leftover parts 
What is it? Not necessarily. I mean, what it is, I mean, nowadays we put in a little liver and stuff in too, but they actually, I mean, I do sometimes, but that was a delicacy to the Pennsylvania Dutch, so they wouldn't put liver in there because they, they like to eat it. So what it is is really you're slaughtering the animal, you're butchering it. I mean, you don't put blood in it either. I don't know why. I've seen like a video of somebody saying there's blood. There's no blood in it. They would make blood pudding, blood sausage with that. What it is is they would take, they'd have this huge cauldron going and all the other bones, so the bones and stuff, you go into make a nice stock right then you would make sausages you would make your hams you would make all the other parts of the pig it's not just like random stuff it's those bones you would take the meat because you're trying to save all that meat and save all those i mean i say scraps but scrapple didn't come from the word scrap though dr william moise weaver has an amazing book it's called country scrapple and i highly recommend it for anyone but in it he gives a whole thesis on scrapple and in it he gives the story of how the krefelders this sect like this germanic peoples that came to philly in the old country it'd be called ponhas and in their dialect cropple is a slice so ponhas scrapple became scrapple around the Philly region, and that's why it's called Scrapple. But some people still call it Ponhaus in, you know, Germany, or in the Pennsylvania Germans. So the Pennsylvania Dutch are different from the Pennsylvania Germans in that Pennsylvania Germans still call it Ponhaus also. But that's what makes it a truly unique American product is they took... So, first of all, it's made with buckwheat and cornmeal and pork, of course. And so they would take the pork, the stock they made, thicken it with buckwheat like they used to do in their old country. And then they had the native grain of the America's corn. And that's really what makes it different than the old country. You see the ponhaus. It seems like you really have a passion for it. Is this your heritage? It is, yeah. I mean, my family made, like I said, they butchered hogs and they made scrapple to get them through the winter. Pretty much around the time I was young, you know, in middle, I mean, my great-grandparents, you know, my great-grandfather died and when I was like in middle school and then so it sort of stopped. They stopped, you know, they got too old, but back in their heyday, you know, they've been making it for generations. And now you're picking it up even though you say you stopped, but you are picking it up. Well, I do, but they did. They stopped. Yeah, they definitely stopped. They got too old. They got, you know, the kid, you know, people move away, you know, like myself, of course. But I mean, I pick it up, certainly, yeah, because, I mean, Elwood is about Pennsylvania and its regional history, heritage, and cultures. And Pennsylvania Dutch, I think, is not very, it's not very recognized, I feel, in Philadelphia. So, of course, I do that. And I do, you know, because it's some things I grew up eating. What do you think is the biggest misconception about Scrapple? That it's just made with all sorts of, I mean, I don't know. Honestly, I don't understand why people have all these rumors about what it is and what it isn't. Especially nowadays, you can make it, like, you can get a pork shoulder and make Scrapple yourself and it's just the same I mean you know pull pork you know I mean I think that they just don't understand what it is you know it had sort of this weird rumor that it's made with like they scrape the floor with, or they put the blood and stuff which if they put blood in it anyway who cares it needs to be eaten too but they wouldn't do that though they'd be they make their own blood sausage with that so how do you make scrapple can you give us kind of a quick rundown yeah it's super easy scrapple is just a potted meat really like i was saying back in the butchering day you'd have this cauldron going with all the bones and stuff i mean they would take the skin and they would take the fat and they would make well my family especially they would save all that they render it down all day long you know my uncle his job when he was like eight years old was to keep that fire going all from five o'clock in the morning till they were done which was after dark you know what i mean 
mean? So all you have to do to mix gravel, like let's say you get a pork shoulder, you cook it in a pot just like you're making a chicken soup, right? You pick the meat, chop it up, you thicken that broth with cornmeal and buckwheat, add your, I mean, I'm a traditionalist, so sage and black pepper, that's what I do, and you put the meat back in and that's it. Then you put it in those loaf pans, you know, the scrapple pans, and they will cover it with pork fat, and you put that in your spring house. I mean, today, you can just make a loaf and then keep it in our fridge and eat it, you know, whenever we want, but it's simple. It's easy. What do you want people to know about Scrapple? Like, what is what is the message that you would like to... <laughs> because you seem like a bit of a Scrapple messenger here, or a Scrapple missionary. Well, I, I think it's because it's part of a cultural heritage. I mean, everything is turned nowadays into... Do I ever want to see Scrapple at McDonald's, you know, like Taco... I mean, is Taco Bell Mexican? No. You know what I mean? So what I want... What I just want is is a cultural heritage. It's more than just a breakfast meat or it's more than just some weird joke that people have. It's a food that actually was literally used to get them through the long, harsh winters of Pennsylvania at one time. So it's very appropriate that you're teaching this class at the Culinary Literacy Center during this season. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't make sauerkraut. I mean, like I said, you wouldn't make sauerkraut in the summer, and you wouldn't make. I mean, I sell, serve sauerkraut all year because I love it, and I actually do a venison scrabble as an amuse. It's the picture everybody takes. You know, it's made with venison, though, not pork, but it's the picture that everybody takes. But in reality, you wouldn't eat it during the summer, or you wouldn't eat it in the spring. Hopefully, you, everything starts to grow, and you can eat what right. you're growing at that time. Well, I do love a Fourth of July hot dog with some sauerkraut. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. So is winter scrapple different than summer scrapple? No. I mean, well, not really if you're making it the same. It, it doesn't matter. Because nobody makes, like I said, nobody makes it the way they originally would make it. I mean, even your favorite scrapple, like if people come in, they eat my venison scrapple, they say, wow, I never had one like that. It's because they've never had a, a scrapple made like that. It's the technique, really. I mean, even your favorite brands... I won't name them, but even your favorite brands at a diner, they're mass extruded into a paste. So every single one, no matter what brand, has that same texture. So you never have the texture of chopping that meat by hand and mixing it back in. So people that say they don't like scrapple, do you think that it's just that they never had real scrapple? Yeah. I guess it depends on what you mean by real scrapple. But, I mean, I like diner scrapple just as much as anybody else. But I, I think that it's more of a psychological thing, that they're told not to like it for some reason or that it's weird. It's like a weird food, which it isn't. I think that's why. It's purely psychological. Okay, so now there's a piece of venison scrapple in front of me, and it looks like a brownie on a horn, on an antler. It does. People think it is a brownie. And this one in particular, because it's darker, because I use a purple cornmeal that I got from my friend Alex Bois, who runs a Lost Bread Corporation. So this is venison scrapple. Like I said, I'm a traditionalist, so I make it with just sage and black pepper and salt. It's the only seasoning. I top it with, um, I mean, to simplify, we call it pepper ketchup, but really what it is, the Pennsylvania Dutch would make this. They would reduce chilies, peppers, garlic, and vinegar, and they would make a sauce. It's like harissa, basically, but it's a Pennsylvania Dutch condiment, really. A hot, a hot condiment. Yeah, a little spicy, yeah. I mean, my favorite way is to eat scrabble. I mean, I don't necessarily like ketchup, per se. A little, I mean, commercial ketchup is so sweet, you know. I mean, I think it's good with a little sweet and spicy, you know, like a pepper jelly or even mustard or something similar. I mean, apple butter, peach butter, they get a little sweet, too. So are you about ready to make a scrapple believer out of me right now? <laughs> I am. Wait, you weren't a believer? I, I wasn't a fan, but I, I was, you know, wow. I was scrapple curious. Oh, okay, I see. All right, well. <laughs> but so how do I eat it? Just 
Pick it up with my hand? Yeah, you just pick it up off the antler. I serve it on a, a deer whitetail antler, yeah. It does have the consistency of a brownie <laughs> in my hand here. All right, here, here goes. Oh, it's like chewy on the inside. Um, See, the texture is not what you get anymore. The texture that I was saying earlier is a paste now in the diners. Because they have to. I mean, I don't blame them. You gotta make that much scrabble. You gotta do something. So it's ground so fine into a paste. But it's crunchy on the outside, chewy on the inside, and it tastes a little bit like a. Well, this is venison, but it's like beef. Hold on. Well, yeah, that's. <coughs> it's venison, yeah. But it. <coughs> that was the hot getting to me. Hold on. <laughs> sure. I do like the spice to it, though. Yeah, I definitely. Like yeah. Sweet and spicy. That's the way. That's the way to go. Um, it's good, actually. I, yeah. did, I did not expect this. I told you. I got to take another bite. Hold yeah, on. Sure. For somebody that's never eaten deer meat, I would describe it as kind of like a beef cube my, by taste. I mean, what Scrabble really is, it's like a combination of head cheese and polenta. You know, the firm, <sighs> like Italian polenta, the sliceable Italian polenta. I mean, that's really what it is, actually. I, th- I feel like I've come full circle. But every, <laughs> well, I'm glad you like it. I mean, every, you know, northern European country had their own, the Celtics had their own sort of mush. Some would do on butchering day, you know, some would do oats, some would do spelt, buckwheat, spelt, you know, all that. All the northern countries would. Those are like hearty grains in there. Yeah. Like you said, to get you through the winter. Exactly. That was a very, like, it was a little hearty square. That was very hearty. Oh, yeah, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) It's very meaty, and it's thickened. You know, you use the stock. You thicken that stock that you cook the venison in. I don't think I've ever had scrapple the right way. I don't really know. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I don't think I've ever had it done right. Maybe. Probably. Probably. (laughs) That was delicious. Thank you for changing my beliefs. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad (laughs) that I was able to. (laughs) Wow. That was really good. Yeah, thank you. So I see why you talk to people about scrapple now. I see why you want to, like, not only is it your heritage, but it's, like, it's good. Yeah, it's delicious. It doesn't make sense why there's so many weird rumors about it. Is, is this like your, your, one of your culinary missions? Uh, as a whole, yeah. Well, all Pennsylvania, I think really, because this is a Pennsylvania restaurant, it's a mission in general is for all our Pennsylvania traditions and cultures and histories that are being lost, you know, especially with industrialization. You know, that's why I have turtle soup on the menu, which is the Philadelphia dish in a bowl. You know, you do a podcast on that, I'll... We'll talk about that. Or catfish and waffles used to be, you know, before they had 300 articles on Wawa and cheesesteaks, there was, you know, catfish and waffles, there was turtle soup. You know, Philadelphia was known for so many things also. Not just particular dishes, I mean, pepper pie also, but they also had, they were known for the best. Like, Philadelphia is known for the best squab cookery. It was known for the best chicken. The Philadelphia chicken, people would say, oh, yeah, we had a nice Philadelphia chicken because it was the best, you know? And I think that's pretty amazing. You need to write a book, I think. <laughs> well, there's lots of books out there, uh, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Chef Adam Diltz, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. That's it for this episode of What's Cooking on KYW. You can follow the show and get other delicious tidbits on Instagram at foodinthe215. And follow me on Twitter and Facebook for more news and insights at Hadas Kuznets. If you have a food tip or feedback about the show, reach out. And please take a moment to help us by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes. It helps us to keep making the podcast and get it to new listeners. I'm Hadas Kuznets, and that's What's Cooking. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.